When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The Rose Water Collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric here to let you know that my podcast, Next Question with me, Katie Couric, is back for its second season. I'll be diving into some big issues like this country's devastating maternal mortality rate, the rise of astrology, and a little thing called the presidential election. Listen to Next Question. It comes out every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. I'm Kristen. And today, Kristen and I are going to start off with a shout out to one of our uh, sister House Stuff Works podcasts, uh, the ever popular Stuff You Missed in History class. Starring Candace and Jane. True. And they did a podcast that was really interesting called uh, Do Political Parties Influence the First Lady's Duties? Mm-hmm. And they went over, you know, they sort of made a generalization that Democratic first ladies are more uh, political partners with their presidential spouse, whereas Republican first ladies in general are more like marriage partners. They have more of a traditional role. Well, that was recorded during during the election before we knew who our first lady was going to be. And now that Michelle Obama is our official first lady, Molly and I thought that we would take a look at um, how that has uh, stood up so far. We're almost to the 100-day mark of President Obama's term. And so we thought we'd look at the duties of First Lady and how Michelle Obama has taken that on. Right, because you can interpret the First Lady's duties any way you want. Mm -hmm. The roles are not defined. Right. They really started out as just sort of a social hostess. They did White House redecoration, sort of like an overseer of the house, very traditional feminine household roles. Yeah, and that's part of what Candace and Jane cover. It's really interesting. You should listen to that podcast. But... Before she became first lady, Michelle Obama was pretty adamant that she was going to be one of those more traditional first ladies. Her role was basically going to be mom in chief. She was going to take care of Malia and Sasha. And, you know, she's done that to some extent, but she's done a whole lot more in the past few months as well. Right. And Molly, it's interesting you bring up the the mom in chief part. Um, according to the New York Times, Mrs. Obama has the highest favorability rate of any incoming first lady since 1980. And they said that her approval rating really soared after she sort of shifted the focus of her potential first lady roles to that of wife and mother first and foremost, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's sort of a statement on the fact that we do kind of want a homemaker in chief. You mm-hmm. know, during elections, we always... uh you know, want to know what the potential first lady's cookie recipe is, you know, what dishes they make for their husband, despite the fact that once they get into the White House, they don't do any cooking at all. Right. Um, and Michelle Obama comes into the White House with a pretty impressive list of credentials. Um, she was educated at Harvard Law School. She uh, was the president of community and external affairs for the University of Chicago Medical Center. I mean, this woman was... Very busy, had a very impressive career, and now that's sort of 
you know, she kind of left it behind a little bit to become first lady. Right. It sort of well, right. It sort of seemed like that's something she had to make a very uh, clear statement that she was doing that during the election for people to almost accept her. Mm-hmm. Um, and while she sort of still maintained that role in the White House, she's doing a lot more. I mean, she has started this garden in the White House lawn to, you know, promote healthy eating. She's been visiting military families. She's been visiting school children. So all the people who are buzz about a first lady's role are just watching her trying to figure out how all these various activities are going to come together to form a platform. Because as Candace and Jane were saying, these Democratic first ladies are more likely to have kind of this policy platform that they promote. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, balanced with that policy platform, I think one of the most challenging aspects of being first lady is that you have to do all of these things in the public sphere, supporting the military families, middle class women, et cetera. But Michelle Obama is also on the cover of Vogue and she is being her every sartorial choice is being documented. And I have to say it, I hate to have to bring it up again, but we are nationally obsessed with her arms. Her arms are beautiful. Yeah, I mean, they're toned. Yeah, that's awesome. But But, I mean, you're right. There's all this constant speculation about whether she's pregnant. I mean, she's very much a tabloid figure now, which has led Krista and I to sort of ponder the question, is First Lady the hardest job in the world? Because in addition to all these people watching your every personal choice, you know, evaluating your marriage, looking at your arms... You're also sort of required now in this modern age to have this policy platform. Right. And I would say that even more than the president, we look to the first lady as the barometer for the health of you know, the first family and how that kind of reflects on the entire national tone. Because right now things are really difficult with the economy and we have these ongoing conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I think that, you know, one of Michelle Obama's kind of unspoken duties is to really uh, keep the first family healthy, something something positive for the nation to be able to look to and kind of get us through this storm. Right. So with the situation in the world, in combination with the fact that she's one of the, you know, the most recent first ladies to deal with young children in the White House, she's got a pretty tricky role to navigate, which is why, you know, people are obsessed with her every move. But she's really coming in... Um, As part of a generation of first ladies, there was a political science professor named Robert Watson who defined different generations of first ladies and whether each was sort of, you know, activists, the ones that were more quiet and how, you know, from Martha Washington on, we've had to deal with this evolution of a role since no one really knows what it means. Right. Uh, The first lady has really come to be more of uh, the president's partner rather than just his at-home spouse who hosts dignitaries and sets up social events and decorates for Christmas. Right. So Michelle Obama's first lady generation really starts back with Betty Ford, who was one of the most politically active first ladies since Eleanor Roosevelt, who was sort of, you know, kind of a stick out figure because there was no one like her at that time. Mm -hmm. But in terms of modern women, this movement that Michelle Obama belongs to really starts with Betty Ford, who's a pretty cool lady. Right. Among the things that she was really outspoken about uh, were feminist platforms of the time, specifically uh, the Equal Rights Amendment that she was uh, strongly for. And she made breast cancer a really big issue as well mm-hmm. with her own fight against the disease. Right. And then after her, we have Rosalind Carter, who really emphasized performing arts and support for the mental health community and the elderly. And she's still active today with the uh, the Carter Center and their global outreach. 
Right. And so Rosalind Carter was actually the first first lady to have a budget. Mm-hmm. Um, when Jimmy Carter was in office, he passed a bill 95570, which was when the first lady was given a budget and a staff. Prior to that, first ladies might have brought in friends, frankly, to host like their events, basically. Right. And I think it was Jackie Kennedy who brought in the uh, the first press secretary. Right. And she had asked permission to do so. Mm-hmm. But now Michelle Obama has the liberty to really create whatever kind of support staff that she wants and needs. And I have a feeling that since she has a pretty, pretty heavy load, like we've been talking about, uh, it's probably pretty extensive staff. Right. And having a support staff is important for the First Lady because she has really three main overarching uh, duties. And that would be social affairs, which, you know, it's the traditional things of inviting diplomats, which is very important part of politics, uh, and then press relations and policy issues. And with policy issues, the First Lady has such a unique sphere of influence because she is with the president, you know, in the quiet times when he's outside of the public eye and can really, you know, maybe influence uh, whatever legislation or policies that he's working on. Right. And I think that's what makes people nervous because, you know, we don't elect the First Lady. People mm-hmm. don't really look to that when they're looking to elect a president. And, you know, often we're told families are off limits during elections, but then all of a sudden when they're in office, they seem to have all this power. You think about Hillary versus Laura, Hillary Clinton versus Laura Bush, mm-hmm. and the very different roles they took on as first lady. Right. Uh, Hillary Clinton made made waves when Bill Clinton appointed her to head up a task force on health care reform. And as we know now, it didn't really pan out so well, and she sort of had to pull back a little bit from uh, from the public space and maybe take on more of the traditional first lady duties that some people were really upset that she wasn't immediately embracing. Right. It's very much a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, because Hillary was very much, you know, I'm going to promote an aggressive policy that uh, advances, you know, an issue that people care passionately about. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, then when we had a change of office and Laura Bush came into office, she had the platform of literacy, but, you know, I think it's fair to say that a lot of people may not have even known that until they read the extensive White House bio to see all the things she did with that. Well, so far, we're not too far into the Obama administration, but it seems like Michelle is doing a really great job with kind of balancing the public policy zeal of Hillary Clinton and the more uh, homemaker type of image that Laura Bush projected. But I got to wonder, Molly, how... The idea of the president's spouse would change if we had a female president. Ooh. What if we had a first gentleman or first dude, as uh, Todd Palin likes to call himself? Right. And I guess those um, gubernatorial relationships provide a sort of a, a model of how that would go. But I know that you're reading some interesting stuff about Germany, where they do have a first man. What do they call him? Do you know? I don't know what the official name for it is, but Angela Merkel is the first female chancellor of Germany. And the interesting thing about her husband is that he hasn't really changed his life that much. He is a scientist. And if you want to interview him, it's got to be about his career. And he doesn't really do that many public appearances. He's very withdrawn from this kind of public role as as the chancellor's husband. So... I wonder how the same thing would fly in the United States because we love guys. We want it. We would still want to know what the first, the first spouse 
would be up to, exactly. but he might have, pants. yeah, exactly. But he might have a little more leeway to, to really pursue his own, his own interests and right. kind of carry on his career. Especially since the closest we've had to that situation has been Hillary and Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. Whereas we all sort of knew who Bill Clinton was. He would have come into the Oval Office with a persona already established in the minds, in the public's eye. Exactly. And he could probably carry on with his foundations work and, all of that, it probably wouldn't drastically change our perception of the first couple. Right. And so it, it is an interesting thing to ponder since especially I feel that the things we've talked about in terms of a homemaker role in addition to a policy role, we have very specific ideas about how the woman should fall into this role. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we would apply those so- same homemaking, you know, social gala function chief Yeah, Yeah, I really, I cannot imagine, I can't imagine Bill Clinton, you know, getting really into hosting a social luncheon. Oh, see, I could actually. Well, I mean, I just, I think that he would, I think he kind of farm out the the organizational duties. Right. You know, but maybe, I don't know, maybe I just don't know old Bill well enough to say. But going back to this question of, is First Lady the hardest job in in the world? Probably not. Okay, probably not. That's kind of an exaggeration. But it. It's such an extreme balance. Right. It's of, sort of every woman's societal role all wrapped up into one. Right. And no matter what she does, whether she's too active or not active enough, at some point someone is going to have a complaint yeah. about it. So There's no way to succeed, I think, in this job. But I think at the end of the day, we can all agree on the fact that Michelle Obama has banging arms. Those arms are awesome. Well... Ending on that intellectual <laughs> high note, uh, we would like to direct you to the wonderful article, How the First Lady Works, written by Stuff You Missed in History Class co-host Candace Keener. But Molly, before we go, I think that we need to read some listener mail. Yay! We have an awesome question sent in from Kristen. It wasn't me. <laughs> I promise. It was another Kristen. Kristen, Kristen with a writes K. a lot of email to herself. I'm not just trying to, to boost the uh, pad the mom stuff inbox to make us feel better about ourselves. Uh, but with that out of the way, uh, Kristen had a question related to our podcast on egg donation. Well, I've got some bad news for you, Kristen. No sex. Sex is usually off the table and also no antidepressants. As we were talking about in that egg donation podcast, there's a lot of psychological screening that goes in to the decision of whether someone can be an egg donor. And usually uh, antidepressants would be a mark of uh, no-go. Right. So there you go. Egg donation. Pretty strict process. As we discussed in Should I Donate My Eggs? So if you missed that one, better come back through iTunes. And if you have a question like... Kristen, who is not my co-host, Kristen, you can email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. 
This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.